0: And I think that's really the lesson that all leagues can learn, is to, uh, to listen to your fans, to give them greater access, and not be not be frightened.
1: You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Tom Salomes. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we're joined by David Michael, the former Chief Technology Officer for the XFL. During his time at the XFL, he was responsible for all technology in the league and across its eight teams. This included leading a team of 150 people covering digital products, football tech and enterprise technology. Prior to this role, he was the chief information officer for the Madison Square Garden Company. As the executive responsible for technology at MSG, he led enterprise-wide customer-facing digital products, as well as the back office tech functions. Unfortunately, the XFL was one of the early victims of the COVID-19 sports shutdown, ceasing all operations and subsequently filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy after only five games into its inaugural season. However, what it managed to achieve in this short period was impressive and holds lessons for surviving sports teams and leagues and how to use technology to engage fans in new and innovative ways. David and I discussed these tech innovations from his time at the XFL as well as the lessons he's learnt from experience in a startup league as compared to a more traditional established organisation in MSG. You can check out show notes and other episodes at sportstechfeed.com. We've got a great few shows coming up for you, including Tim Tobito from the NFL on their recent virtual NFL draft and mixed reality presentation at the Super Bowl. Dr. Leila Mentis on the sports betting industry, uh, how it's dealing with a global sports shutdown and how tech can help uh, present potential solutions as well as Mike Downey from Microsoft on their recently announced partnership with the NBA. This podcast is brought to you by the Sports Tech World Series, the global sports technology community, and your trusted resource for everything sports tech. You can sign up for our newsletter at sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter to stay in the know with trending news, industry deep dives, and of course, all the latest Sports Tech Feed episodes. Now it's over to David Michael. Hi, David Michael, welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, great to be here. So great to have in the show. Uh, when I first reached out, it was just after the XFL had ceased operations. Um, so I appreciate you kind of sharing your wisdom. I know it could be a little bit raw, and and certainly there's uh, there's a lot of good people that are that are finding themselves out of work, as is happening all around the world, and especially in sports. So I want to first acknowledge that. That um, as everyone's said. Through no fault of the product itself, the XFL was a fantastic product, but uh, nothing like a global pandemic to completely re- rewrite the rulebook. So really what I set her on today is talking about what were the tech innovations that, that happened during your time in XFL. But before we dive into that, XFL was essentially a startup, a startup league. Um, you've, as I said in my intro, you've worked for more established sports brands such as MSG what was the kind of comparison between the two? And and I guess what most attracted you to that opportunity of working for a quote unquote startup?
0: Thomas, it was uh, it was great to be back in a startup. Uh, I, I started my career off in the UK w- working in a startup and uh, managed to work in some really large organizations. And then working in a large organization is great because you, you can pull a lever and have a big impact um, and you can get to talk to a lot of customers, which is always fun. But uh, being in a startup is a unique privilege because you just don't have any legacy. And, and w- when you work in technology, one of the f- things that you often talk about is technical debt and w- replacing your legacy systems. We didn't have any legacy systems. We didn't have anything. Um, and we were literally writing our own rule books. So it's a unique opportunity to create something which is really fit for purpose from day one. Um, and that was really the the, the best thing about um, going into and what attracted me to to joining XFL.
1: So just the, the blank sheet of paper. I mean, a lot of organizations talk about that blue sky thinking and blank sheet of paper and at the leading edge, the bleeding edge, uh, very few organizations actually have the opportunity to a have the freedom to do that and then b the um, remit for implementation. So, diving into that a little bit more what was i guess the downside of of having that freedom was there a downside
0: yes for sure i mean the we we were we, we it wasn't really all blue sky we were still we we obviously had still had constraints we had the, the, big, the probably the biggest constraint we had was time uh, the clock was ticking the season was going to start um, and in fact when i joined the company uh, and, and when i first went to to to, uh, to, to interview with oliver um there's a big countdown clock in the reception counting down the days to kick off um and one of the first things uh, i was asked to do was to do a um uh, a 30 60 90 day plan which is a sort of a standard thing you do when you join a company but the reality was in 120 days we had kickoff yeah. so uh, 30 60 90 days we going to go by very quickly um so time was our biggest constraint and the other thing was we, we weren't reinventing football. We wanted to be authentic and to, to um, honor the most loved uh, of sports in the US and make sure that uh, we were really true to, to what football was, but that we were listening to our fans and making sure that the things that they would like to see slightly differently that we, that we, that we did. Um, and the things that they, the, the traditions and the things which they, they really uh, makes part of the game that we, we we kept those, we kept, we honored those and kept those the same. So we, we absolutely had a, a lot of constraints, but they weren't really downsides. They were just mm. things, they were guide rails. They were things that um, allowed us to have a very clear vision of where we were aiming for. Um, yeah. So, we, we, we time, time was our biggest one. We were also, we were frugal. Uh, we're a startup, uh, and, and as anybody who's worked in a startup knows what it's like. Uh, it means you have to roll up your sleeves uh, and be prepared to muck in, um, and you don't necessarily have all of the resources that you would like to have. But that doesn't mean you can't do it, and it doesn't mean you can't innovate. And we continuously strived uh to create a quality product and not not for the short term but for the long term we really were building a league for the long term and it was just a, such a shame that a uh, a global pandemic which is having such a big impact on all sports uh and will do for some considerable time brought everything to a, to an end
1: mm. so sharing on that uh the recent NFL virtual draft was hailed as a major success for the league um Went off with any without any technical glitches and record-setting viewership or all, all that kind of stuff. But I was interested to learn that that wasn't the first time that football leagues completed a virtual draft. So yourself and the team at the XFL uh, did it over six months ago. So you share a little bit more about that, uh, how that came to fruition, kind of what technology partners you used, and, and why the decision to go virtual was made in the first place.
0: Well, as a startup, as I said, we you know we were we were being frugal and sensible and uh, bringing everybody together in one place was just not practical or realistic. Um, We'd only just hired coaches. Um, We'd only just hired uh, team presidents. Um, And so the, doing it virtually was a, was a natural for us. The question was how to achieve that and to achieve that effectively. Um, And in, in the spirit of the XFL, we wanted to give our fans, uh, and we did have fans at that point, even though we hadn't played a single game, we had a lot of fans who wanted to know and wanted to experience what was going on in the draft. And the way that we thought about the draft wasn't about uh, staging a broadcast quality event. It was about a practical... Thing which is necessary as part of um, a, a league. And we wanted to give our fans an insight and a view into how that worked. So we, uh, we had eight teams uh, across the country. They set up shop in um, either in offices or in hotels. Uh, they set up a draft room um, and we brought in uh, audiovisual uh, and networked them together. And the main technologies that we used were Exos Digital Scout, uh, which is our scouting software, which had our, um, all of the details of all of our players. And we used Zoom, uh, which is what Thomas you and I are using today, and um, isn't the whole world using. Uh, we used Zoom uh, as the backbone of connecting all of uh, the the, uh, the coaches and the teams with the league off head office. Um, we shared screens so that you could see the Exos uh, scouting screen. Um, and we ran the, the draft over two days. Uh, we drafted over a thousand players through the system. Uh, we had multiple rounds. Um, and uh, the, the whole event was live streamed on YouTube. Um, and we had a significant number of fans come and watch um, and comment and ask questions about what was going on. Uh, we brought in some uh, super fans who were, who were podcasting about the XFL. They actually came in and interviewed over Zoom with some of the coaches and with Oliver Luck. Uh, and it created a, a, a for, for super fans, it created a really very compelling event. Um, and we realized by doing that process, two things really, was that bringing people together as part of the process really wasn't necessary. And in fact, it helps to have separate war rooms for each of the teams remotely. And it gives them uh, allows them to be in much more control of their own destiny. And by using technology to bring people together, it creates an immediate opportunity to allow fans to see what's going on. And as a fan-first league, this was such an important thing and set the tone for our fans to allow them to see what's actually going on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, just the the cost alone, obviously, the realities of, of a startup is cost constraints, but also a few fans in terms of not uh, having necessarily the funds to travel, but still wanting to participate and get involved. But was it... Was it kind of the obvious choices to go with, say, Zoom and YouTube as, as the established providers of both services in this space?
0: Yeah, so we, we, uh, XFL, we partnered with Zoom very early on um, uh, before Zoom became a household name. Uh, the beauty of it is that it's uh, platform independent, very easy to use um, and, and very good quality. And quality was, was very important for us. Um, so that's really how we ended up uh, working with Zoom. And we, Zoom was really part of the culture of XFL and how, how it worked.
1: Yeah, so ahead of your time.
0: Uh, so slightly ahead of our time, but only just.
1: <laughs> so what are some of the other uh, technology innovations you're most um, proud of from your, from your time at XFL? Well,
0: I mean, continuing the theme with giving fans a unique access. Um, One of the most complicated and interesting things that we did technologically, was to create an audio ecosystem, which connected on game day, all of our coaches, our officials, and also the players on the field, so that coaches making calls could talk to multiple players on the field. That was part of our promise to our fans to make the games faster and more agile by not needing to have a huddle because the coach could talk to multiple players.
1: And um, just to just to dive in there for reference, um, what's it currently uh, in the NFL?
0: So, so in the NFL, there's, uh, there's, there's the, the coach can only talk to, uh, to, to, to the, the quarterback. Um, And so the the quarterback then has to relay on the call to the other players. Whereas with the XFL, we had 24 players on each team that had receivers in their helmets um, that allowed them to hear calls from both the offensive and defensive play callers. And the way it was set up is that the head coach could either make the, the play call themselves or they could have an offensive or defensive play caller. Um, and the coaches could also talk to each other. Um, and also the TV truck that was broadcasting the event could listen in to the coaches talking to the players. And also they could, there was a hot mic on the head coach, so that, which was always on so they could always listen into everything the head coach was saying. This gave fans a unique experience where they could hear what was really going on and sitting at home watching the games, what an experience to be able to hear um, this strange language that the, the coaches use to talk to the players. Um, and using the same technology the the uh the broadcasters in the in the booth could interview the head coach over their headset um and that really created a very uh in the moment opportunity to understand w- what was going on with the coach and how how were they thinking
1: mm. yeah and that that coverage of marked up coaches and and players and all that um from the nfl point of view it's always it's always the end of season highlights it's heavily features um, that because you also get to know their personalities, you get to know them as individuals, you get to know their kind of quirks and how they're actually there, and also not yes. just what they're like in the uh, polished press conference before they step on the field. Yeah, yeah,
0: and we, we wanted to do it during the game and giving that level of access and uh, as the game was was occurring was was such an important thing for us. Um, so that was a that was a really fun and interesting technology, and in fact, we, we had a patent pending on that. Um, so that was that was that was really great. And the other, the other key thing which we did, which was um, which was a lot of fun, was with uh, working with your fellow countrymen, our, our friends at Champion Data. We um, we we created a uh, unique setup where we had P- Champion. Uh, uh, champion data analysts at every game, calling the plays, relaying the uh, by audio back to Stanford in our bunker, uh, everything that was going on in the field where we had data analysts keying it in to our low latency API. And sub-second from, from the play call, the data was put into a standard form and we released our statistics to our betting partners and fantasy, our website, um, the scoreboards. And so we could get the the plays and the statistics out incredibly fast from what was the action that was happening on the field all the way through to the places where fans would see that data. Mm. And we did that not only in a very efficient and uh, effective way, but we did it actually very cost effectively as well with, um, with, with, uh, with, uh, with using some very innovative cloud technology.
1: Yeah. And, so, and for people that don't uh, know champion data, champion data, uh, so Australian based, um, yeah, data collection and analytics company, um, kind of you would similar to sport radar stats, perform other large providers in the world. They do most of the Australian sports including the Australian football league and uh, also quite innovative in the stats that they collect and weight, the way they collect them. So um, knowing the team pretty well, they were very excited to work with the XFL. So that's definitely interesting. You touched on that point around um, about betting and kind of wagering. Was there, was that a, aim in terms of how you were putting in the technology or was it that just kind of one of the subsets of uh, fan experience, fan engagement?
0: It it, it wasn't our primary goal, but it was definitely an important uh, component of the suite of things that we were doing. Um, One of the many ways in which fans enjoy the game is through fantasy and betting and having high speed, low latency, and very detailed statistics on the games, really important to us. And initially, we we were just starting with the play-by-play. Moving into season two, we were going to be doing uh, a lot more detailed tracking. uh, And we were looking at options of using optical tracking as well as the more traditional RFID style tracking that the uh, NFL does. Um, to be able to release some really interesting data that could be used for betting. Um, we, in fact, launched a Play XFL app to our fans, uh, which was a free to play game uh, with some very high prizes. That was a, 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 a very well adopted game, um, and that was definitely part of the ecosystem of the fan experience. We also we were very f- uh, fan friendly. Uh, with low cost tickets uh, starting at twenty five dollars for a ticket um, and so we as a result we had lots of families um, that would come to our games uh, so we we were uh, we were very um, family friendly as well as uh, a, a very compelling and interesting experience for the more serious um, and, uh, uh, and enthusiastic fans as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And on that point, you kind of mentioned the the fan-friendly, lower ticket prices, things like that. Uh, using that as a bit of a gateway into what the traditional sports leagues could learn from the XFL, are there any particular kind of technology innovations? Obviously, post-COVID, I mean, the the Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, said today they're going to uh, have a maximum of 15,000 people in in their stadium, uh, with social distancing, things like that. Um, that's one end of it, having less people in the stadium, but then you've you've got sports like baseball that were struggling to attract crowds before COVID and and kind of, uh, after this whole breakdown, especially when rights deals are lowering, it's all, it's a bit of a perfect storm for sports. What are some learnings that you had that worked well in the XFL that you think could apply to traditional sports? I think the
0: first place you have to start is to listen to your fans and listen to what it is that um, they want. And that was something that we we did from the very beginning and and we continued to do throughout the season. And there there are absolutely fans who love going to stadiums uh, and and what a privilege to be in Audi Field in DC uh, with a completely full stadium uh, and the fans going absolutely crazy. Uh, for the D.C. defenders. Um, And it will be a while before we're back there uh, with that situation, uh, with social distancing, of course. Um, But I think what we did learn more than anything is that you can create a very compelling experience and an improved experience to the fan at home um, by giving them more access to what is actually going on in the stadium, by being able to hear uh, what the players are saying by being able to hear what the coaches are saying by being able to see what the officials are looking at in the replay booth to be able to understand the process that's going on with the officials when they're making a call there's so much more that can be done and technology plays a part in that that's probably the biggest learning for us is that you can make a better experience for the fan at home. There's a lot more that still can be done. And I think that's really the lesson that all leagues can learn, is to, uh, to listen to your fans, to give them greater access, and not be, not be frightened. Uh, It's very easy to get into the situation of saying, well, what's going to happen? What are these players going to say? I mean, they're on and they may say something they shouldn't say. Um, Do do we really want to show how we make the sausages of uh, of officiating on a call? Absolutely, we do. Transparency is a good thing. So don't don't be scared. Don't be scared.
1: Uh, I mean... I, I totally agree with you. And I think that the sanitization of sports, so to speak, is um, is a troubling trend. Um, obviously, if behavior is completely out of line, there's, that's a whole nother kind of kettle of fish in terms of off-field behavior and things like that. But but just, just finding characters in games is and, and the narrative. I mean, look at um, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance. Like, that is all about narrative. That is all about... MJ as a, as a character and then the kind of sub-characters within that, you know, Isaiah Thomas or someone like a Burton Johnson. And to my mind, the NBA are the best at building narratives um, in the game. But to do that, you need to have individual characters. And, and I certainly agree that uh, having access, to the rawness, the genuineness uh, of the characters in the game, both players and coaches, will, will really contribute to that
0: yeah yeah no i th- I think you're absolutely right, and it's uh it actually makes it a more open and accessible uh thing um and when you've got fans who may be newer to the sport um, it by making it real by making it more human it um, it it really draws people in um and helps them to become true fans when they mm. really get to know the players and the coaches. Um, they, they really become, uh, they were invited inside and, and that's a unique experience.
1: And how was, uh, so that was obviously all the technology that kind of pushed in and, and made that available. How was the reaction from players and coaches when it was floated that they were going to be completely marked up and this was going to be open? So initial, initial reaction was,
0: was uh, yeah, that little bit taken aback, um, for sure um and there's uh and i think this is the reality is it's 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 human nature isn't it um when there's change when you know how something works and you know how how you do your job um and 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 things are slightly different um it takes you out of your comfort zone um and especially when you're an athlete when you're a, 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 a somebody who works in sports um your personal performance really impacts the outcome um, and so anything which is going to be different is a scary thing so yes absolutely um, it was difficult and so it took um w- what we did is we made sure that everybody was involved as early as possible um, and we started with mini camps in 2019 in the summer uh, we then had uh, mini camps with all the players uh, in December and at every step of the way, we would bring in and introduce and show people the technology and how it was going to work. We allowed the coaches to help us work out how should all the buttons and levers work so that they could work out. Am I talking to defensive or offensive? Mm. Um, by bringing people in and allowing them to be part of it, we can learn as technologists from their expertise as coaches and can help make these things um, uh, better than, than it was originally thought mm. and so it was a process um, and it was an ongoing process and we had lots of ideas of things that we could do better uh, for season two um, which sadly we won't we won't be able to do but there was um, we we had a lot of buy-in from the coaches and the players and you in fact saw it on tv when um, some of the players were interviewed on the sidelines talking about the audio technology, talking about how the headphones inside the helmets worked. The players actually became very passionate about it um, and wanted to help make it better. So that was a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a a key insight for any kind of digital transformation that um, whether it's in sports or outside is taking the people that you're actually building the technology for, in the sense of the ones that are the end users, um, and doing that in partnership with them rather than just building a solution and forcing it down.
0: Totally, totally. Uh, it's sort of a classic technology Change management is the sort of official word for it. And it really is. It, it's about making, doing it in such a way that people don't feel it's being done to them, uh, but they feel that they are part of the team that are implementing the change. Um, and that's very, very important to make uh, these digital transformations successful.
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's, I mean, that's the kind of key takeaway, I guess, for for traditional sports leagues is don't be afraid of the change and and look at ways that you can serve your fans directly. Um, In reality, what do you you think we'll see in changes after uh, sports resume? In technology, if anything, will people kind of just go uh, Innovation's too hard, it's too scary, there's too many changes and kind of close ranks or do you think they'll, they'll crack open a little bit?
0: I think actually in, uh, this is sort of the catalyst that's going to force a lot of changes. Um, and so we, we're going to see uh, technology impact every aspect of sports. Um, and it, I think that's a good thing. Uh, technology can help make it better, um, both in terms of um, the, the aftermath of COVID and also the fan experience. Um, and so, I, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation. I think we're going to we're going to see things around communications, around statistics, <clears throat> around um, uh, access to uh, what's going on um, in in simple things like how. Uh, ticketing works uh you know ha- having physical tickets is was was going away but it's gone for sure now um who wants to touch something that somebody else has touched um it's it, it's it's going to force self-service um it's going to force contactless uh, in everything we do um so it's it's it, we're going to see a lot more technology uh, innovation and digital transformation in sports
1: mm. I think it's uh, what I'm referring to. It is the mainstreaming of sports technology. So rather than just seeing something as wow, this is innovative and new in terms of a, a say stadium experience, for instance, when you actually are going there physically. The whole the whole broadcast side. That's I mean that's as you say that's that's huge. That's going to change. That's going to be finding new ways to connect with your fans. It's going to be about cutting costs as well. Everything there, but the the in person experience. I mean, arriving. Uh, you know, not a paper ticket. Um, app ordering, c- completely cashless in terms of stadiums. Uh, whether that's teams doing their own um, card for the stadium or, or some other system, whatever that is, that you see in stadiums, and and they're quite innovative. Uh, but that's just going to be the, the new normal. It's
0: totally going to be normal. I mean, uh, while I was at MSG, we were we were doing uh, in seat ordering and. Uh, uh, contactless payments and all of the things you just described. Um, but the adoption rate was low. We, mm. we were getting sort of sub 10% adoption on all of those things. Um, I think we will see the adoption go through the roof. Uh, one of the things that we were toying with when I was at MSG was, do we continue to have cash? Um, cash still represented 40% of purchases on food and beverage at MSG uh, when I was there. Uh, I suspect we're going to start to see stadiums that will not accept cash. They Mm. will stop doing it. It will be contactless payment only. It will be digital payment only. Mm. Um, We we truly will see that. We're also going to see this um, in things like training uh, and uh, conditioning. and uh, uh, We're just not going to see, I think, the same scale of bringing together Uh, 80 football players in the gym at the same time we're we're just not going to see that Um, we're going to see people working in their own gyms working at home working remotely um, training remotely so we're going to have to collect information digitally about what they are doing we're going to have to feed them their training routines digitally Um, we're going to be doing scouting digitally Uh, so many of the the aspects of the the sports ecosystem will go virtual.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree with you there. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really insightful chat and I kind of appreciate the the perspective uh, that you've got and very excited to see what's next uh, for you and and for a lot of the other people involved in XFL because I think their learnings um, in that Intense but, but brief, um, unfortunately too brief, time at the XFL would be very valuable to a lot of existing sports organisations. So final question for you, what is your favourite sporting moment of all time?
0: Wow. Um, well, I'm going to have to say it's an XFL one. Going to the opening, uh, going to the, 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 the season opener at Audi Field, uh was uh was amazing it was literally our opener and yet every fan in the stadium uh was wearing dc defenders gear um it it was uh, a privilege it was uh, the most fun sporting event i've ever been to
1: fantastic all right well i'll try and get some footage from that uh opening game and also see if we can get some uh footage of the the audio system in action as you said and some of the more fun highlights that have uh, come out of having that level of access.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thomas, thank you very much. It was uh, it was great fun.
1: Thanks mate. There you have it. That was David Michael, former CTO of the XFL. Really interesting chat and thoroughly enjoyed the perspective that David brought uh, across both the established organization at MSG and, and then moving into the XFL and, as you said, pros and cons to each, your startup league, you blue sky thinking, you can kind of go for it and you've got uh, a lot of potential to be more creative, but at the same time the, the budgets are thinner and the timelines are a, a lot shorter, so there's uh, there's pros and cons to both. On a personal note, I'd, I'd just say for any of our listeners that currently furloughed or, or have recently lost their employment um, in sports, it's obviously an incredibly tough time and probably the toughest time that that sports and just the global economy has seen going back decades and the closest you can really compare in terms of the economic impact it's having and the impact it's having on the way that people live their lives is World War 2. Uh so I just want to give a kind of personal acknowledgement to the people that that are doing it tough now and and say that uh it will bounce back. It it will get better and Will be back there watching sports, enjoying sports, and obviously all the people that work tirelessly behind the scenes to make that happening, um, to make that happen, will will be needed uh, once again. So if you are out of work and and kind of struggling a bit, keep keep networking, keep your chin up, keep talking to, to people in the industry, keep learning, keep moving forwards. There will be light at the end of the tunnel. Until next week, this has been Sports Tech Feed. Thanks you so much for listening. I'm your host Thomas Alomes. Looking forward to seeing you next week.